The Brian McClanahan Show, episode 185. Are you ready to think locally and act locally? Welcome to The Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to The Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back on the program. Glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter, at Brian McClanahan. Like my Facebook page, at Brian McClanahan. And, of course, subscribe to my YouTube page, at Brian McClanahan. You can also support The Brian McClanahan Show by going to mclanahanacademy.com. It's always free to enroll, but you can purchase one of my five classes there on the war, the Constitution, the Declaration of Independence, Secession, and Alexander Hamilton. All are worth your time. In fact, the last two I produced, the one on the war and the one on the Constitution, is called American Constitutions, are college-level courses that you get for a fraction of the price. So you're going to want to get those classes. They make great gifts. We've got uh, holiday spending coming up, so go on out there and take a look at mclanahanacademy.com. You can also uh, support The Brian McClanahan Show by going to brianmclanahan.com. That's B-R-I-O-N, mclanahan.com, forward slash support. You can throw a few pennies my way, help get the lights on, help keep the podcasts going, all that great stuff. You can also support The Brian McClanahan Show by going to learn, true, T-R-U-E, history.com. That is my affiliate link for Liberty Classroom. If you purchase a course or purchase a membership, I should say, from Liberty Classroom through that link, you'll support The Brian McClanahan Show because that is my affiliate link. So uh, it's a great website, probably the best value for an educational website on the web. I mean, you you can't beat it in what you get there. Politics, uh, I'm sorry, uh, history, I should say. Um, I got politics on the brain. That's the topic of this podcast. History, economics, philosophy, a lot of great stuff. Great faculty members. Tom Woods, of course, it's his website. But Kevin Goodsman, Jason Jewell, Brad Berzer. Um, you've got uh, Jeff Herbner. Uh, just a f- tremendous faculty. So it's, it's well worth your time to go to learn true, T-R-U-E, history.com, and get a subscription to Liberty Classroom. All right. All that said. The topic, I was going to do a different podcast, a uh, different episode today, but I wasn't thinking because the election, everybody's got the election on the brain, so I'm going to do a post-election podcast and talk about my views on what happened. Um, I did this before 2016. I did an election primer. I didn't do one this time uh, for that. I didn't want to make any predictions uh, because I thought the situation was too volatile and I really still consider American elections to be too volatile to predict, even into 2020. You know, we, we're going into 2020, and of course, if you look at the your news feed and your social me- social media, or go online and do, you know, look at the news today, this morning. This is uh, you know before six o'clock a.m. Eastern time. Uh, you'll find that people are saying, "Well, this is the blue wave happened. Um, this is this is going to determine what's going to happen in 2020. You've got the blue wall back in the Midwest, so Donald Trump's not going to steal those votes anymore. Uh, that's just not going to happen this next time around. Essentially, what they're saying is they're setting this up for being uh, a a referendum on Trump, of course, and it's going to show that Trump won't win re-election in 2020. The Democrats are going to take the presidency. The Democrats are going to take both houses of Congress again. It is going to be a complete blue tsunami in 2020. I mean, this is how it's already being portrayed. And I would say that um, there is some warning signs for the Democrats in all of this. First of all, when you look at some of the races that were that flip seats, you're talking about razor thin majorities in those districts. In some cases, just maybe a thousand votes, two thousand votes. That's it. 
And I think what's going to happen here is the Democrats are going to go far left in the House because they can. And the reason they can is because the Senate will block everything they do. So they can just go out. And the Democrats, one thing I'll say about the Democrats, the left is very bold, the far left and the the Democratic Party. And they're willing just to throw it all out there and say, this is what we are and this is what we're going to do. Whereas the the Republicans, look, the Republicans deserve what happened. The Republicans are the stupid party. If they had actually doubled down, I believe, on Trump's agenda, even though I think that presidents shouldn't have a legislative agenda. But regardless, if they had doubled down on what Trump promised to do in the election, really focused on immigration, really focused on tax cuts, even though they also need spending cuts to correspond with that, because, I mean, either way, we're getting the uh, the deficit blown all out of the water. It doesn't matter who's in power. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna <laughs> to say something that I wrote on social media before all the election returns were in. It doesn't matter. Um, if they had actually done that, I don't think the Democrats would have taken the House. The Republicans run from their own legislative agenda because they're the stupid party. They really are. I mean, the Republicans don't know what to do. They go out and they campaign, they say all the right things, they do all, but then when they get in power, they don't know what to do with it. The Democrats in power know what to do with it. They, they double down on their agenda. They go out, and so what's going to happen is the far left is going to dominate the House of Representatives. Now, this could be dangerous for them because, again, these razor-thin majorities. They're going to go out, they're going to try to subpoena Trump, and they're going to try to do all kinds of things. They might even impeach Trump. I, I, I wouldn't put it past the House to impeach Donald Trump. They've, got, uh, they've only got a few-seat majority in the House, but still, it doesn't matter. They're going to go out. Now, the danger in that, I think, is that the moderate Democrats or the people that voted Democrat as kind of a referendum on what Trump was doing in these very, very slim majorities for the Democrats are, I believe, going to get turned off by that. And they're going to lose the House in 2020. Um, I, I just think it's going to happen. The other thing, of course, the only thing that could change this, there are warning signs that the U.S. economy is going to go into a major recession. Uh, particularly if Trump has his way and the Fed goes back to putting interest rates at zero and, and the idea to create another bubble. If, 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 Trump, if that happens, if another bubble is created and it doesn't burst before 2020, uh, then perhaps Trump could run on you know, a great economy. But regardless, the economy is going to doom the Republicans ultimately. I think at some point the Democrats uh, are going to use that to their advantage and say, look, here it is. That's the only thing that I believe would save the Democrats in 2020 is if the economy tanks somehow in the next two years. And uh, the Democrats can say, well, there you go. If you give us the power, then that won't happen. So I believe that this is, it's going to be an ultimate disaster for the Democrats in 2020 for winning the House because they're going to go far left. The Senate's going to block everything they're doing. And, um, you're, you're not going to see a blue tsunami in 2020. In fact, you're going to see a resurgence of the right. I think this is going to energize the right in certain areas. And perhaps you're going to get another burst of people saying, we need candidates who are actually going to stand up to the Democrats. We need candidates who are not going to follow a Democrat agenda. You know, Paul Ryan's out. You're going to have these moderates that... Um, <laughs> were problematic the entire time. The Never Trumpers, all these people. Uh, and and I think there's going to be a backlash against them, too. Uh, the Senate is actually the important part in all of this because, again, the House can do whatever it wants. We're, we're going to see complete gridlock, which is fantastic, ultimately. I mean, we don't want the Congress passing all these stupid bills uh, that are just worthless. 
So we're going to see a lot of deadlock. In fact, we're going to see probably a lot of uh, spending bills that are temporary spending bills, you know, for a few months, and then we'll have something else. And we'll, we won't see a budget. I think in the next two years, we won't see a comprehensive budget passed by the Congress. Now, what is going to happen? We have the lame duck Congress. I think you could see a burst of energy for the Republicans there, and they're going to try to do a lot of things to get these to get certain legislative items enacted. So that when the Democrats come in, they're going to try to undo them. They won't be able to, at least for two years. I think you're going to see that. Perhaps if the Republicans were smart, this is what they would do. They would just go in and say, we're going to double down their agenda. They're going to pass everything they can. Uh, It'll be like, you know, 1800 with uh, John Adams and the Federalists and the Jeffersonians are coming in. And uh, that that would be the wise thing for the Republicans to do. I don't think they're going to do it because they're not that smart. But that would be the wise thing for them to do. And, of course, control of the Senate is essential because, at this point, uh, there, there could potentially be two more Supreme Court appointees in the next two years, depending on what happens with age and health uh, for the members of the Supreme Court. We do have elderly members on the Supreme Court. Not just, I mean, we've got two that are considered leftists, but um, nobody really is a spring chicken on that course. Any, anything can happen uh, on that court. Anything can happen. And you're, you're going to see, of course, Trump try to put his stamp on the rest of the federal court system, um, which is also important in what we've decided we're going to do in American politics, which is have government by judiciary. So uh, all of that is very important. Now, I wrote uh, on social media before the election, maybe you follow me on social media. If you don't, you should. Follow me on Twitter, like me on Facebook. But I wrote on social media... Uh, just before all the madness started. But I said, quote, America, on election day, the choice is clear. Do you want a big government beholden to progressive special interest groups dedicated to both economic and cultural Marxism or a big government dedicated to Lincolnian nationalism and centralization? Vote big government, because that's essentially what you got yesterday. You got big government, doesn't matter which party is going to win, the stupid party or the uh, cultural Marxist party. And Tom Woods sent out an email late last night saying, you know, I think a lot of people vote Republican not because they deserve it, but because they wanted to give a big middle finger to the cultural Marxists. This is true. I mean, I think people were interested in that. They're scared of the the cultural Marxists and what they're going to do and the insanity of these people. And there's no doubt about it. They are insane. Uh, But uh, on the other hand, you vote Republican and you just get softer cultural Marxism. <laughs> it, it's just the softer side of cultural Marxism. It's just the softer side of economic Marxism. It's just Lincolnian nationalism. You get bigger and bigger government. You get a government that is not fully uh, responsive to, I believe, uh, what people really want. Now, so I, I'm going to turn my attention away from national politics because Um, It doesn't matter who you vote for, you get big government. But I want to focus on the states. I think this was much more interesting and much more important. If you want to talk about a blue wave, uh, there were some rumblings and some things that came out of these states that there was a reaction to the the Republican control of the state legislatures. Now, I think some of this was simply a trickle-down effect um, from people voting in the federal elections, and they just voted straight Democrat or straight Republican, whatever the case may be. And so you had um, a, a residual effect in the state governor races and, of course, state legislative races. Uh, but um, that said, 
I think it's um, it's important to understand uh, some of these state elections because again, this is think locally, act locally. I don't want to focus on all this, uh, you know, all the all the um, uh, national stuff because that's not the goal of this particular podcast. This this podcast is dedicated to. Uh, thinking locally and acting locally. And so you should have been out voting, focusing on your local elections, who you got in your state legislature, who you've got in your probate judge. Now, I mean, my district, we vote for probate judge. Um, some of these elections, I think, are, 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 again, remnants of the progressive era and are kind of foolish because it's hard to even find information on this stuff, particularly if you live in a larger area. Now, if it's your small town, you're going to know everybody. But if you live in a larger city, it's very hard to know all these people. Um, so, and, and even, you know, what they stand for, you vote for judges and then you're just looking at R or D or, you know, these kind of things. So, um, it's very difficult. Uh, I would actually be in favor of less democracy in some of these situations than more. Um, I think the progressives got some of these things wrong, but you need to be out there looking at these particular elections and, and how we do these things. Um, you know, who we're going to, uh, who's going to control your state legislature? Who's going to control your city council? Who's going to control your, your county council? Uh, what judges you have at the state level? Because all those things are more impactful. And so there are several ballot initiatives also that were very interesting last night. So let's talk about the uh, state situation and thinking locally and acting locally, how this worked out at the state level. So um, was there a blue wave at the state level? When you look at governor's races, um, the Republicans still control the majority of the governorships in the United States. Um, one of the big, there are two big bellwether uh, governorships. Oh, actually, it was more than that. But two in the South that I think were people were focusing on, Florida and Georgia, where you would have had very radical leftists take the, the governorship in either one of those states, and neither one is going to happen. I know that as of you know, close to 6 a.m., they're not calling the state of Georgia for Brian Kemp, but he's going to win the election. The what's going to happen here? Of course, some things are going to get tied up in court. Uh, the the left was complaining about voter suppression and all kinds of things. You saw it last night. All oh, this is show that shows that people can't vote in the South. Still, you're going to have some of this stuff going on. But um, look, Stacey Abrams was far left, and I think that uh, the, the fact is Georgia is just not that far left. Um, and when you look at what's happening, 100% of the precincts are reporting, and Kemp has, oh, about an 80,000-vote lead. I don't think that that's going to change. I don't think that any there's any way that Stacey Abrams is going to come up with 80,000 votes. So um, still, I mean, fairly razor-thin majority there. But um, And this is, this is important, too, because of all the money and energy and, and attention that was put onto that race. We had Oprah in Georgia, and uh, you had all kinds of things going into that state, and uh, it just didn't work. Um, the other one is Alaska, which has not finished reporting, but um, Mike Dunleavy is going to win that particular uh, governorship as well. So you have what you'll ultimately get is, I think, um, 27, 27 governorships. Um, that are Republican 
and 22 or 23. I can't remember what the there was one independent or, but you'll have you'll have the majority of the governorship still in the hands of the Republicans, which the Republicans at the state level often tend to be different than the Republicans for the general government. So uh, now, for as far as the blue wave, you did have um, seven seven governorships flip from Republican to uh, Democrat in this particular election. The most important being the governorship of Wisconsin, where Scott Walker was defeated, and he lost by about 30,000 votes in uh, Wisconsin. Now, I would suspect there was going there's going to be a challenge there, even though I, I guess Walker has conceded, but you might be able to say, well, I mean, is this uh, is, is this enough? Now, I think what undid Walker there were some independent votes. Um, uh, Michigan, uh, you had a pretty sizable win for the Democrats in Michigan. Maine, uh, again, fairly raised within about 30,000 votes in Maine. Um, Maine. Maine's an interesting state because you have certain parts of Maine that are a little more conservative, and then you have far left Maine. Uh, but, I mean, I, it, it, look, I, I don't expect anything and I know there are Republican governors in, in uh, Massachusetts and New Hampshire and Vermont, um, but I, I'm surprised that uh, any New England state is uh, uh, Republican. Now, Connecticut's another one. Apparently, soggy ballots were involved in. This is the first time, you know, soggy ballots are involved in Connecticut. You got a razor thin majority there, about 10,000 votes separating for the governor of Connecticut. So we'll see what happens in Connecticut. Uh, it could go, uh, it could go Republican, could stay Democrat, uh, and I think that will be the twenty-third. Kansas, you had uh, a flip, about, again about forty thousand votes. You see, these these flips are razor thin. Many of them, uh, you know, Nevada only about twenty-five thousand votes. That's why I say I caution: if the, if the Democrats go left, far left, you're going to see a backlash against that. Americans are not far left. Americans really aren't far right. This is what's always uh, interested me about Trump. He's really not that far right on a lot of things. I mean, he's he's an old Roosevelt Democrat. He really is. And so when people run around saying, you know, Trump's so far right, he's just an old Roosevelt Democrat. If Franklin Roosevelt, it shows that if Franklin Roosevelt was to run uh, for president in 2018, he wouldn't win. He wouldn't win. Uh, not on the Democrat. He wouldn't get the Democrat nomination. He wouldn't win. Uh, because he's too too centrist, and Roosevelt, of course, was not was not centrist at all. But he's too centrist, uh, so it shows how far left the Democrats have gone on a whole host whole whole host of social issues. I think is the is the key there. Um, but I digress. So we have that situation. We also had the uh, the state legislatures. There there was an interesting situation with the state legislatures. Uh, where you had um, the state legislatures and who is going to control those. Now, when you look at that, pre-election, you had uh, 31 legislatures controlled by Republicans and 14 controlled by Democrats, and four were divided. Post-election, you have... 30 legislatures controlled by Republicans, 18 by Democrats, and only one divided. So essentially what happened, there really wasn't much of a blue wave in terms of um, legislative control. 
you had one loss for the Republicans. You did have three of the divided move into the Democrat category. And of course, Democrats control 18 instead of 14. Um, and then Nebraska is nonpartisan. It's a unicameral legislature, so that never counts. But um, you did have a, I mean, it's not really much of a blue wave here. It's just you had some of the division go away. Uh, now, in terms of state control, um, you had 25 states controlled by Republicans before the election, 21 after the election, eight Democrats before the election, 13 after the election, and still 13 are divided. So there were five states that moved into the Democrat control post-election. So was that really a blue wave? Um, I don't think so. I don't, I don't consider this a wave, though I do think, again, that there was some trickle-down effect here when it came to these state elections. And this is, again, where the rubber meets the road. This is, this is the real juice when it comes to American politics. Um, one thing I found interesting were the ballot initiatives. Now, this is going to have a major impact moving forward in how, uh, how the election cycle works out. Of course, you have the, the idiots on the left calling this, you know, the, if the Democrats somehow lose, somehow lose the House but, keep the, uh, but win the House popular vote. This is where we've gotten in America. In fact, I think if the, if the left had their way, they would have like 500 legislative seats in, um, or uh, for, the, for the Congress, for the House, they would have, um, you know, like 350 seats for Los Angeles and New York, and then everybody else would get the rest. I mean, this is what they would do. Um, they're completely unhinged. They're completely off the, off the rails. I mean, they, they really don't care for the American political system as designed, which keeps the states very much in the loop. Uh, they don't care for that at all. Um, and I, I think it becomes clear after this election that the only real way to, to have any type of sanity is at the state and local level. It always has been. This is why I think locally act locally matters. But you have these ballot initiatives, and I've, I've made the case many times, look, um, you want change? Get it at your state level, because I firmly believe that all of these ballot initiatives or all these things that are going on at the state level, it's going to be very hard for the central government to knock these things down. And some of them are far left. I mean, this is where progressives need to understand. You've got your most power at the, at the state level and the local level. Conservatives, you've got the most power at the state and local level. This is where you've got it. So win there. Um, so some of the issues, of course, that were uh, up, for, up for grabs at the state and local level, one was abortion. Um, in Alabama, the uh, and West Virginia, Alabama had an amendment too, uh, anticipating anticipating that uh, the Supreme Court at some point is going to to decide on abortion again, with now a quote unquote conservative majority. I don't. I'm not. I'm not buying it. I don't think they're going to do it. But the amendment two protects the. Uh, rights of unborn children, gives them con state constitutional protections. Uh, West Virginia had an amendment that um, prohibited uh, taxpayer money from being used to pay for abortions for those on Medicaid. So you had two states that had a ballot initiative for, uh, for an amendment, state constitutional amendment, which restricted abortion. Um, you're going to see more of this, I think. Uh, I think the states are going to get a little more bold in this particular area. Because they, um, they view the court as a potential win for them. 
the federal court system, right? So we're going to see what happens. Um, uh, there was a, a rejection of a, a measure in Oregon, uh, which would have prohibited publicly funded health care programs from recovering abortion. That was rejected. Uh, so Oregon stays left on this particular issue. Um, again, if you live in Oregon and you don't like that, well, organize and get out and vote to change that. In Oregon, this is where the rubber meets the road. This is thinking locally, acting locally. Uh, now, uh, some other measures. You had um, some some interesting issues in uh, in some of the other states on, on a variety of other issues. Uh, voters in several states, Florida, Georgia, Kentucky, Nevada, North Carolina, and Oklahoma, uh, voted to approve uh, a version of what's called Marcy's Law. Uh, this gives rights to the victims or the family of victims uh, when um, a accused murderer or something of that nature is is uh, released um, or hearings related to that. Um, so um, this this would allow victims or the families of victims to have some type of recourse in criminal law, um, which is interesting uh, because you know the the story is that in California you had this uh, woman who was uh, killed by an ex boyfriend, and so that the parents walked into a store and there's the there's the accused right there, and they didn't even know this guy was out on bail. So essentially, what happens is they want they they immediately launched an effort to have it to where if these people get released, you know they're released now. The ACLU um, is opposed to this um, because it's it undermines in their in their in their mind it undermines the uh, guilty uh, it, it undermines you know the proof of, of innocence uh, you know you essentially you're guilty until you can prove yourself innocent is they say this flips that on its head so now you have these accused and they're harassed and other things uh, and they're not they haven't been found guilty of anything so. Uh, this is um, it's a it's an interesting question, uh, one that of course in the South where you have a much more and if you look at the states that approved it a much more law and order situation. I mean the South if you if you look at election maps th- this is something that Southerners would be fully in line with I think uh, in, in supporting something like Marzi's Law even though it's coming from California but fully supporting something like this. Um, also, what's interesting is Washington State actually uh, had a ballot initiative which would uh, change how police officers can use deadly force, um, and it makes it much easier to prosecute officers for um, for uh, using deadly force. Um, this is a big issue. I think you're going to see more of this too. Uh, police force and and uh, how what what type of force police officers can use and how they can use it. Um, it's something that I, I think you're going to see more and more of as we get forward in um, in future elections. Now, one of the big ones were uh, gerrymandering, um, gerrymandering legislation, um, where you had in uh, Colorado, Michigan, Missouri, and Utah, you had measures which changed the way these states set up their legislative districts. That's huge for future elections. And this is something that Hillary Clinton tweeted out when she when she became a neo confederate when she tweeted out you know this is one thing that these states do they do establish how 
the how uh, the states are drawn up, how these districts are drawn up, and that is a big issue. What they've done here is removed it from the state legislature and put it into the hands of commission. Now, how that commission is set up and who's going to control it—that's a big issue. But this is a, this is a a very substantial question moving forward when it comes to uh, congressional elections, when it comes to state elections, and how these things are going to be decided. Also in Florida, now convicted felons can vote. You've got 1.5 million people added. There's a lot of felons in Florida added to um, added to the voter rolls because the people of Florida decide that ex-convicts, felons, should be able to vote uh, once they've done their time. And um, now, if you've committed murder or a, a, a you know a sexual offense, that that's not going to happen. But um, everyone else, if you're you know a felony for all kinds of other things, theft, well, I mean you can vote, right? So uh, the wisdom of that. I mean, we could debate that. Is that a good idea or not a good idea? But here again, it's thinking locally, acting locally. The people of Florida decide this is this is what's good for them. This is good for the state of Florida. Um, so there you go. Um, some other things. Maryland passed a, a ballot initiative that uh, lets qualified people register to vote on election day. On election day. So you don't have to register to vote. You just show up the day of election day and say, I'm going to vote. Uh, Arkansas and North Carolina passed voter ID laws, um, which, of course, the, the, the progressives don't like. Um, but, I mean, I think, I think personally, those are, those are good things to have voter ID laws. Uh, there were, uh, marijuana was on the ballot in several states. Um, Michigan approved a measure that allows people 21 or older to use marijuana, and um, so it's recreational use. Uh, Missouri had uh, tax measures, um, and these were all uh, for medical marijuana. You had um, uh, voters in Utah deciding about medical marijuana. Uh, same thing in, in uh, Michigan and North Dakota. Uh, so you had that issue. Uh, you had uh, minimum wage increases in, uh, in Arkansas and Missouri. So again, all these things that we offer the Democrats, we're going to raise the minimum wage, we're going to go out and expand Medicaid, we're going to do all this stuff actually happens at the state level. These are not even federal issues. If you want these things, you can get it in your state. I mean, we could talk about whether it's smart to raise the minimum wage because of what that does, or whether it's smart to uh, expand Medicaid, whether it's smart to give felons the, the ability to vote. All these things, though, are state issues. Um, voters in Nebraska, Utah, and Idaho allowed the expansion of Medicaid under the Affordable Care Act. Uh, and that would be um, basically for people who are in poverty. But uh, that's, again, it's expanding Medicaid. Um, you also had initiatives in Montana and Utah to have a tax increase on tobacco, a sales tax increase um, to provide for this expanded Medicaid coverage. Um, so you have that. I mean, these are all the, the ultimate thing here. Also, one thing I found interesting in Florida, there was an amendment which, uh, restricted, uh, racing and betting on, uh, greyhounds and other dogs in Florida, um, dog, uh, greyhound tracks, which are, I mean, uh, they're, they're, if you're an animal rights person, you know, greyhound racing is pretty brutal. Um, but the, the, uh, um, this is important because you see a reflection in these states on the political culture of the people there. And that's, isn't that what we really want? 
don't we really want a state, a, a government that's responsive if, if to the political culture of the people there? I mean, we can, t again, if you're a libertarian, you can say, yeah, I want that. I don't want a government doing anything. If you're a conservative, you can say, well, I want the government reflecting my political culture. Uh, leftists and progressive, I want the government reflecting my political culture. Um, so you have you have the states being more responsive in this way to any of these issues than the general government ever will or should be. So if you talk about a blue wave, I don't think you really saw it. You saw a ripple. You saw a ripple. There was certainly a, a backlash. But again, razor-thin majorities for the general government. The state governments... Um, in some of these, some of the, some cases here, very, still again, very slim majorities, and I think that depending on what the Democrats do, if they go far left, you're going to see a reaction to that. And this is this is what Trump was in 2016. You're going to see a reaction to it, um, certainly. And and maybe people have. Uh, I think what's happened is people have bought somehow the 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 press that are saying Trump is this this and this, which there's no evidence that he is any of these things or claiming that he is. But certainly, um, they're, they're, people have bought into that because they get to consume their media, and they really don't think about these things other than just what they see on TV or hear on the radio or get on their social media feeds. This is what they live in. They live in echo chambers and bubbles, and so this is the, these are the things they get. And they firmly believe. And I heard somebody on mainstream radio programs say that MSNBC and CNN these are these are um, these are moderate news sources. They're moderate news sources. I mean, I think gen Americans generally agree with that, that they're moderate news sources. ABC or NBC or CBS, they're moderate news sources. They're not. I mean, they're, they're leftist news sources, and so they think because they're, they're somehow moderate, uh, that's the mainstream. Uh, and so this is what they believe. And if those news sources run stories talking about negative stories about Trump, they, they start believing these things, that Trump says all these nasty things, Trump does this, Trump does that. Uh, and then maybe their, their co-workers or their friends start saying these things. And so this is how politics steamroll over time. Uh, a couple other things that, you know, Alabama approved a ballot initiative that uh, 70%, over 70%, that would allow for the Ten Commandments to be displayed on uh, state and public property, including schools. Uh, but they're not going to allow the... Um, the public, they're not going to allow the state to defend any of these <laughs> monuments. So if somebody sues, you're not going to use state money to defend it. Um, this goes back to Roy Moore and having a public display of the Ten Commandments in the uh, Alabama Supreme Court, which was removed. Somebody sued, of course it was removed. Then you had, uh, But here, the 70% of the, of the people in Alabama think this is, this is a wise thing to do. It reflects the political culture of the state of Alabama. Um, I mean, that's if you live in that state, that's what you like. I mean, 30% of the people are against it, but 70% of the people are for it. Uh, and, and so should we not have states that are reflective of the political culture of the state? Um, also, you know, California uh, upheld um, taxes, gas taxes, to pay for roads and other things. So you want to pay a lot for gas, just going out to California, and uh, you can get gouged at the gas pump even more. And they, the state, the people approved it. So if the people want that tax, have at it. I mean, they've got the tax. But all this, again, is tied in with this think locally, act locally. You know, how these things work out, how we, how we view politics, the, the, general elect, the general government, look, it doesn't really matter there. There's still a razor-thin difference between the two parties. Um, the Republicans are the stupid party. If they had done things properly, they never would have lost the, the Congress to begin with. 
Uh, the Democrats are going to go left because they know how to govern. They know how to abuse the other side, which is what they're going to do. Uh, that's this. It's going to be uh, chaos, I think, and I think Americans are not going to. They're not going to stand for it. Uh, we'll see how the Democrats decide to play this up, and how they decide to react to it. If they go in and start abusing, I think Americans will will not stand for that kind of of um, divisiveness because really the Democrats are the divisive group uh, more than anything else. I mean, you look at identity politics and all the things they do. That's really divisive. So. Uh, we'll see what happens there, but this was my post-election Think Locally, Act Locally. If you want government to be responsive to what you think government should do, get involved at the state and local level. Get in your school board. Get in your city council. Get at your state legislature. Do these things because, again, this is really where it doesn't matter what happens in D.C. The states have tremendous amount of power, and they need to exercise that power in resisting unconstitutional action by the general government, whether it's left or right. This is what the states need to be doing. And so that is my takeaway from the 2018 election fiasco. I'll see you next time on The Brian McClanahan Show.